0: Welcome to Matters of Fact. I'm Christian Esguera. Today is World Press Freedom Day. We're going to speak with the National Union of Journalists in the Philippines about this initiative to help out journalists in need during the pandemic. Now, journalists are facing two basic problems during the pandemic lockdowns. Number one, of course, is economic, like the rest of the world, like the rest of the Philippines. And number two, the struggle for press freedom, a problem that began way before the pandemic started, problem that has been highlighted or made even more pronounced under the Duterte administration. The Philippine Medical Association cautions doctors about prescribing ivermectin to treat COVID-19 patients outside of hospitals that were granted compassionate use permits. The PMA supports the Food and Drug Administration, the Health Department, and the World Health Organization in reiterating that there are insufficient studies on the use of the antiparasitic drug as COVID-19 treatment. The group also warned manufacturing and dispensing unregistered drugs are against the law. But Sagip Partilist Representative Rudante Marcoleta challenges local officials, or local health officials, to present studies about the side effects of ivermectin. He insists some doctors only want to help. Marcoleta and his fellow lawmaker, Anak Kalasugan Partialist Representative Mike Defensor, had distributed ivermectin to Quezon City residents last week. Health Secretary Francisco Duque III wants an investigation into the prescriptions that were dispensed during that distribution. Those prescriptions were allegedly written on pieces of paper that did not have the issuing doctor's names. The secretary also encouraged all of those who received the ivermectin capsules. Kung mahare magreport lang po sa DOH para po ma namin kung sa kaling meron po silang ibang mararamdaman
1: and if they need anything, and upon DOH to mulo.
0: Dr. Tony Liachon now joins us to weigh in on this issue. He's a former advisor to the Philippine government's interagency task force or national task force against COVID 19. Good morning, Dr. Liachon, and thank you for joining us this morning.
2: Good morning, Christian. Good okay. morning.
0: What do you make of this uh, consistently strong push by some of your colleagues, some of your fellow doctors, for the use of ivermectin for treatment and prophylaxis? Uh, for COVID-19 despite all the warnings coming from regulators, from the health department, from the WHO, and even from experts abroad. Why the insistence? What do you think?
2: Well, perhaps they're coming from uh, certain convictions, either societal pressure, or readings coming from about, uh, about uh, abroad regarding uh, certain beliefs. And uh, they think that these uh, studies that they're reading Are sufficient enough to warrant, of course, the use of this uh, particular medication, despite the non-approval of the U.S. FDA, the World Health Organization, and even our local FDA. Mm -hmm. So so basically, um, you have, um, in in terms of a conflict of uh, uh, medical opinion, but uh, in terms of the level of evidence Christian, the highest level of evidence is a randomized controlled trial for the FDA or local FDA to justify an issue once of a certificate of product registration. And that's why even at this point in time, there is no approval of the uh, particular product for the use in uh, mild COVID or prophylaxis uh, cases of COVID infection. Okay but how strong,
0: how big uh, is this uh, statement coming from the Philippine Medical Association and other groups within the medical community warning against the use of ivermectin for COVID-19 treatment because basically there are questions regarding the studies being cited. I mean as a doctor aren't every one of you all doctors here in the Philippines supposed to follow what the PMA is saying because that is your group?
2: Yeah aside from the Philippine Medical Association uh, I'm a member also of the Philippine College of Physicians uh, and they have issued similar of course position statement of this. This is a, uh, a violation of the code of ethics and uh, unprofessional conduct because you're not supposed to um, issue a prescription certainly for uh, unregistered product by the FDA. So you have to conform to the, the basic standards of the, the law, and it might actually uh, affect, of course, uh, the your, your position in the Professional Regulation Commission. This may actually warrant or justify reprimand or suspension or even rev- revocation of the certificate of your registration, based on the Medical Act of 1959. Mm. Um, certain adverse events also were mentioned by the uh, by the Philippine College of Physicians, supported, of course, by the Specialty Society. Okay. Uh, Dr. Lechel,
0: before we go to the adverse uh, events or effects or possible side effects of using ivermectin, especially for COVID-19 treatment, uh, that's interesting. You you mentioned the violation of Code of Ethics uh, by doctors who are still prescribing ivermectin for COVID-19 outside of the compassionate use authorization and despite warnings from regulators, no? So how can they be made accountable for this as a medical professional? How do you kick off the process? Let's say you want to hold a particular doctor or group of doctors uh, irresponsibly promoting ivermectin, how do you hold them to account?
2: Uh, there are two ways of doing that. Uh, if there's a formal complaint that to be lodged at the at the Philippine Medical Association because of an ethical or professional conduct, the other one is they call a moto proprio, uh, meaning to say since it is in broad daylight and uh, there there is there was this uh, particular recording not only in pictures but also on on social media and uh, as well as in television. Uh, this this actually would be right now within the jurisdiction of the professional regulation commission and as you can see right now secretary Duque has mandated the professional regulation commission as to the violations committed by the physicians who supported the community distribution in quezon city
0: but but how strong really is our regulatory framework in particular for instance that of the pma and that of the prc
2: It's very strong, particularly the regulatory agency, because that's the one that would revoke any license if if you will be proven, um, you know, behaving in an unprofessional and unethical conduct.
0: Okay, let's make a distinction between um, actively promoting or advocating for ivermectin for COVID-19 treatment or prophylaxis. And number two, actually prescribing the drug for COVID-19. I'm talking of course, uh, in the case of doctors, right? So is there a violation if a doctor, for example, like you, issues a prescription signed, including the, the, the license number, right? Um, outside of the compassionate use authorization, he can be made accountable for that, right? You can, right. People can go after him. But what about those who have been actively having themselves interviewed, promoting this, uh, this, this drug against COVID-19 on social media, without actually issuing a prescription.
2: Th- that's also stipulated, uh, Christian, in the PMA Code of Ethics and also in the PRC because a physician cannot endorse a medical or health product that is actually in the law. So we're not there to commercially endorse any product. Uh, more so, uh, even to uh, prescribe uh, unregistered product. So these are in the context of... Uh, um of so many years of uh being with the as a former president of the Philippine College of Physicians I know particularly the law particularly for some ethical issues referred to us so so basically uh you're right there one you cannot commercially endorse a medical product even in discussions uh particularly in uh, TV or radio and then number two um Prescribe unregistered uh, product, particularly with the FDA.
0: Okay, uh, but but in this case, for instance, how do how you actually make sure that the that, that the PMA would go after such doctors, for instance, because we're, we're hearing a lot of endorsements uh, over the past several weeks, despite warnings from experts, including yourself, no? you have been warning other people regarding the use of ivermectin for COVID-19 treatment, again, because it hasn't been proven yet based on studies no. And if we make quote from the PMA statement studies presented had low confidence certainty due to high risk of bias and low overall quality of evidence. Basically, the PMA was referring to the existing studies being cited by those promoting ivermectin. No? So, so, so how do you actually make them stop? I mean, how do you how do you counter the narrative coming from these people?
2: Well, there are three things that I'd like to uh, uh, alert you, Christian, because uh, there was this particular interview of uh, Secretary Guevara uh, with Karen Davila, uh, because the FDA has weakened itself uh, in terms of um, issuing a compassionate use in five hospitals, and at the same time issuing, of, of course, uh, permit in distribution. Um, in licensed like pharmacies with MDs prescription. And this might be actually be uh, the reason why uh, these doctors uh, were confident uh, in terms of the community uh, uh, distribution. The other one, Christian, is a motu proprio, meaning to say uh, the PMA or even the PRC will be in a position to uh, lodge complaints with the ethics committee of the PMA as well as the PRC, uh, of course, to uh, investigate on this particular matter. And then, of course, there's a complaint already coming from the Department of Health, and that particular uh, strong position with the Department of Health will trigger, of course, the investigation. So you have a party right now, no less than the Secretary of Health, mandating the PRC to investigate on this particular matter.
0: But do you honestly believe that something concrete would come out of this uh, promised investigation?
2: Well, I have yet to see, but um, the the positions of two uh, medical groups, uh, three, uh, three medical groups, including the pharmacist group, uh, I, I would say very strong in terms of uh, evidence uh, based on the uh, particular uh, tenets or principles of the ethical conduct and professional conduct based on the uh, PMA as well as the PRC. Okay. And what do
0: you make of the handling of the Food and Drug Administration so far of this issue? Or do you sense that somehow it is is giving in or yielding to too much pressure or lobby, not just coming from doctors, but also politicians?
2: uh, I was able to watch the the Congress hearing on this particular matter. And I think there was tremendous political pressure on the FDA Director General um, in order to push with this particular agenda. And you know that the, the budget of the health agency, as well as the FDA, would be coming from the, the lower house. And I think there was intense pressure. Uh, that is just my personal opinion, because I was able to watch that particular uh, committee hearing think that's the hearing of public accountability. Well, actually, that is quite obvious
0: if you saw the hearings, right? Uh, If you saw the hearing, and if you base your opinion on the pronouncements coming from several politicians, specifically members of the House of Representatives. I mean, people are not supposed to be naive that there is indeed intense pressure involved here. But how do you think the FDA is handling it? That's why I started this interview with a question regarding the regulatory framework, how strong is our uh, regulator, our regulator, our regulators here in the Philippines?
2: I think it's very weak right now. And <clears throat> I think the FDA has contradicted itself because, uh, in the first place, they said it could, it, uh, it will never be registered unless we have the regulatory documents uh, on court on randomized control trial. That's on one hand. And then the other hand, they uh, actually uh, allowed them compassion in, in hospitals and even distribution provided there's a licensed pharmacist that will compound and of course uh, justified by MDs prescription. So, so I don't know how it would be how, how it will turn out but um, at least right now the PRC, uh, the PMA and even the Philippine College of Physicians and even the Department of Health are on it right now. Uh, are, even, even, even the Secretary of Justice is actually on this particular matter.
0: Okay, but we have yet to see how exactly they would deal or they in te- intend to deal with this problem because what pronouncement is one thing, action is another. But can those, can these people actively promoting co- uh, ivermectin for COVID-19 treatment actually claim good faith? For example, a congressman or a member of that group of doctors promoting COVID-19. Na- uh, in for COVID-19 treatment, can they actually just claim that we're doing this uh, in good faith as a matter of public health because we are very much concerned about people dying every day of COVID-19? Can that be used as a defense? For instance, if they are um, asked or asked no. to respond formally by the PMA and the PRC?
2: No, it, it, it cannot be justified just based on in good faith because... Uh, as lawmakers, they know the law. They, they cannot actually push any product that is unregistered with the FDA because uh, we have two principles in medicine. The, the principle of beneficence that the patient's welfare should be above any interest, whether the physician or any political pressure or societal pressure. The other one is the highest one, primum non nocere, first do no harm. So even if your intentions are good, but it can potentially hurt the patient, then it will not justify that particular goal of that particular politician or any physician for that matter.
0: Okay. So basically, there are two commitments that uh, these people are supposed to do. In your case, uh, I'm curious about your own experience with these people demanding access to ivermectin. Are you also encountering such people and what do you tell them?
2: Well, I engage them because they're they're colleagues. eh? and of course based also in the ethics you're not supposed to you know malign or medical colleagues but um, you're in a position right now to engage them in intellectual as well as uh, professional engagement based on uh, proof of evidence particularly the level of evidence but they're also uh, gung-ho or relentless in trying to push their agenda and the, the sad fate The sad thing about this is that um, uh, they're violating the regulatory laws and which is contrary uh, to the tenets of a medical profession that is actually to conform with the standards of the law, as well as the professional and ethical principles of the society you are actually engaged with.
0: What do you think is the real agenda behind this push for ivermectin as COVID-19 treatment?
2: Well, it may be personal agenda. I'm not sure about the uh, conflict of interest, um, perhaps business interest because uh, um, uh, through a license manufacturing company, I, I can only speculate, but I'm not sure about this, but usually this, these are the things that we see in private practice. Okay.
0: Finally, uh, Dr. Tony, what is the responsible thing to do at this point? If you are a medical professional, being asked by someone on whether ivermectin can be used for treatment or even prophylaxis for COVID-19. Number two, the responsible thing to do for the ordinary citizen watching us. If they get somehow tempted to make use of this um, unregistered drug, your human greed, COVID-19 for uh, ivermectin for COVID-19 treatment.
2: Well, to, to the public, I, I urge you not to use it because of the potential side effects. On a personal basis, I had three patients who actually had uh, uh, advanced uh, COVID because of the default assurance and poop regarding this. And two of these patients have come already. So they would present with nausea or vomiting, diarrhea. And patients with mental confusion and, and seizure disorder and that led to respiratory failure leading to death. So I warn the public, if you are not aware of the potential side effects, that will be uh, very, very uh, dangerous. And the second one, uh, I urge also my colleagues to to follow first the, the, the law, particularly the FDA, and wait for the um, release of the clinical trials that are ongoing at this point in time. I mean, there's no rush. Uh, for this point in time, because there are other accepted uh, home care medications uh, like um, steroids or blood and other and other uh, medications proven to be effective and approved by the FDA.
0: Because as you always say, for all we know, this might actually work against COVID-19, but the key word is might. But so far, we need to wait for the science. We need right. to wait and, for the actual data, for the yes. actual
2: evidence. The biggest problem, Christian, is that uh, it has been positioned as a replacement for vaccines. And people are more interested right now on ivermectin rather than on the vaccination. So thus, it would hurt, of course, the the campaign of the government in terms of awareness and education, because uh, this would increase vaccine hesitancy, uh, knowing that there's a potential benefit from ivermectin. So this should be settled. Uh, I mean by the Department of Health and other regulatory agencies because this is my third, actually, the national vaccination program of the the government.
0: Well, That that, that is a very um, important warning that you gave there. And finally, again, uh, I think you also need to address this problem or this this narrative of people saying that uh, I took Ivermectin, I didn't get COVID. All of a sudden, they're very much willing to put their trust in that uh, unproven drug for COVID-19 and claim that they didn't catch COVID-19 so far. They haven't caught right. it yet because of Ivermectin. But the basic question is, how sh- how sure are you that it was the Ivermectin that prevented you from getting COVID-19? Or perhaps you were just being too responsible when it comes to following health protocols and that perhaps it's not yet your time to actually catch the virus.
2: Uh, uh, christian in in medicine there are levels of evidence. the lowest evidence is of course uh, an expert opinion on observational studies and of course anecdotal uh, stories about getting well A- any product that you claim you can actually that can actually help you because God heals particularly in uh, in mild cases but the highest level of evidence the gold standard used by the regulatory but this is actually a randomized controlled trial involving so many patients so that you will omit the bias in these particular studies
0: okay dr tony liachon thank you for joining us this morning
2: thank you very much christian
0: let's discuss this with uh, maria hilda salhai the president of the philippine pharmacists association good morning ma'am and thank you for joining us on the program
1: good morning good morning
0: Let's talk about the statement coming from the Philippine Pharmacists Association Incorporated, strongly worded as far as the warning is concerned. What triggered the statement
1: coming from your group? Okay, of course, um, the group atalagapong uh, na triggered because of uh, the 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 distribution of ivermectin in uh, one area in Cagayan City, and this is a very clear. Uh, violation of our R.A. 10918 or the pharmacy law. Okay, So sa po, yan po, we're looking into other um, um, legal basis on that. But um, we, the group of the pharmacists, of course, uh, we always want to ensure no, the safety of every patient that we serve. And of course, kasama po yan lahat ng uh, pharmacies sa buong Pilipinas. And uh, uh, we are just so concerned about the distribution of Ivermectin bilang, uh, of course, as a prevention for COVID-19. And mm-hmm. at this point, uh, we are saying that, you know, when medicine is a medical tool, it's a health tool, it can heal but it can also kill. So mm-hmm. in the light of the recent distribution, mass distribution of Ivermectin, we strongly oppose not the irrational dispensing of the unregistered drug and illegal compounding.
0: Okay. Sige. Ipaliwaring e, e, natin sa, sa audience natin. Number one, illegal compounding. What? Wow. What is compounding in the first place, compounding of medicines, and why that distribution of ivermectin for COVID-19 in Quezon City last week uh, presided over or pushed by two congressmen? Why was that illegal?
1: Okay, uh, I just would like to make it clear, no, compounding, maybe because... uh, there's some uh, confusion about what is compounding, really, no? So I just want to make it clear that compounding is an exclusive role of pharmacists, and uh, we do this with a valid prescription for a specific patient. So we cannot do that for the mass, for the general public, or to really produce in bulk. Otherwise, it's no longer compounding, but we could consider that already as a manufacturing, and for. A pharmacy a laboratory um, to do manufacturing you really need to have a license to operate to manufacture and the drugs must be registered with the Food and Drug Administration with the certificate of product registration and at this point uh, the, the activity uh, wala po kami nakikita no, nagenon. so I think there's really a clear violation on that sir
0: so when you say compounding of ivermectin what exactly do you do to, to, to suit it as COVID-19 treatment as claimed by some doctors and many politicians?
1: Yes, um, Ivermectin is under compassionate special permit. No? So meaning um, it should always be within the context no, of that, no, uh, of the investi- inv- investigation drug, I should say. So investigational drugs may be used as long as uh, we follow the regulatory processes. So it has to be Prescribed for a specific patient and there should be a close monitoring to be done by uh, the prescriber uh, in a facility you know? for example in a hospital to make sure that we really do monitor you know, and uh, check on what possible adverse effects these investig- investigational drugs may incur after um, the treatment mm-hmm. so in this case during the distribution we don't see uh, that the process was followed.
0: Mm-mm. And um, just to be very basic about it, not anyone can just go to that particular distribution and get access to Ivermectin. Definitely. And on, that, Definitely. on the other hand, not everyone can just provide Ivermectin because they think it could work. Ganun ka basic yung dito, no? Yes, That's the, the basic no? Um.
1: Uh, kung as far as up, up to this date now, I only know that there are only five hospitals who were issued the CSP. And dapat po doon sa hospital na yon ginagawa yung uh, pagprescribe ng ating ivermectin. And outside of that, it's no longer um, legal. I should say mm-hmm. there's so already have- a violation on that uh, ivermectin distribution.
0: So hindi siya para para sa Tamol na pwede may pamigay
1: saan-saan. Yes, definitely because uh, Ivermectin is under is considered uh, is considered as investigational drug under CSP or compassionate special permit.
0: Mm-hmm. And we
1: really have to re- follow the regulatory processes.
0: Okay. Now speaking uh, of compounding of medicines uh, specifically as applied to Ivermectin for uh, alleged COVID-19 treatment because allegedly it works, no. This particular um Reasoning was cited, I think, in a recent interview I had with one congresswoman actively pushing for ivermectin. So, no? this is allowed in the Philippines. This is allowed. Uh, just so as not to misconstrue the issue and to perhaps uh, model it before the public. Again, when you say compounding of ivermectin, it cannot just be done. Uh, give us the basic explanation. Kung bakit hindi siya, it's not supposed to be done outside of the uh, hospital setting or the hospitals that are allowed under the Compassionate Use Permit? It's okay. What are, what are the dangers?
1: Yeah, ko lang po ulit, since the ivermectin is under CSP, hindi po siya basta lang i-distribute or i-compound anywhere outside the the those facility with CSP. Okay? So, the dangers definitely, kasi since it's investigational, we don't know yet no, the possible risks side effects, no, or even if it's effectivity. So uh, marami po mga side effects na nababasa na po natin. No? Uh, they could experience uh, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, uh, facial or limb uh, swelling, and so on. no? Mga uh, potential toxicity to the liver and, and everything. And it's not yet very, very you know, established. Ano? Uh, marami pa kung So that's why since, again, it's investigational, we cannot recommend this, this yet for use as treatment or even prevention. No? At this point, kasi parang ginawa nilang prevention for COVID-19. The more so, it's so very hard to uh, really measure how preventive it is kasi healthy yung mga individuals na binigyan. Eh. So it's it's very hard, no? Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, my point at uh, the point of the, the group the, the philippine pharmacists association is that including the experts no because i have read the the statement also of the medical association the pct and uh, the psmed no so including the world health organization and even the food and drug administration and the our department of health um we ha- we've been repeatedly emphasizing that there is not enough proof that ivermectin can be used for treatment or prevent COVID 19 at okay. this
0: point. Okay, finally, uh, Ms. Alhai, how important is it for our regulators to hold these people illegally prescribing and promoting uh, ivermectin for COVID 19 to account? Because we can, groups like yours can issue statements as often as you want, strongly worded statements, but at the end of the day, if there's any illegal action being done, the regulator should step in. How important is it for our regulators to prove that they can actually hold these people to account?
1: So, of course, this is very important for our regulatory agencies to check on this. And uh, in our, on our part, no, as a non-government organization, just you know, our focus lang naman namin is to ensure the safety of the patient. We can always work with these regulatory agencies and other groups no to look into this matter uh but about the, leg- the legalities and everything we will leave it to the regulatory agencies but we can just be at their side no to 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 discuss this and to look into this no mas, uh, alam man, we in the pharmacy profession uh gamot na kasi ang and i think and we always believe that pag ang pinag no okay. to to be part of the discussion
0: Okay, Ms. Maria Hilda Salhay, thank you for joining us this morning, ma'am.
1: Thank you so much also for the opportunity.
0: The National Union of Journalists of the Philippines, or NUJP, condemns the killing of a municipal administrator in the town of Pilar in Capiz province. John Redja was shot dead by unidentified men on a motorcycle in the village of Lawaan last Sunday. He was the first and longest-serving chairman of the NUJP's Capiz chapter. NUJP called for investigation into the death which it described as quote, a symptom of the culture of impunity in the Philippines. The group adds the victim's wife, human rights lawyer, Criselda Azarcon-Heredia, was a target of an ambush in 2019 because of her anti-mining advocacy. The National Union of Journalists of the Philippines or NUJP is raising funds to support media workers afflicted with COVID-19. Joining us now is uh, NUJP President Jonathan DeSantos, thank you for joining us. Good morning, Jonathan. Hi, hey,
3: good morning, Christian. Uh, thank you for having me t- uh, this morning. Okay,
0: let's talk about this initiative uh, of the NUJP called Tabang Media, uh, especially uh, today's the World Press Freedom Day. Uh, basically, talk to us about the situation of many of our colleagues now, especially during mm-hmm. the pandemic. How are they coping? Okay, because
3: um, we've been holding a lot of uh, roundtable discussions with our colleagues now. Um, a lot of them are, uh, in trouble economically because of, well, everyone's affected by it now, but, uh, they've been, they've been forced to keep, uh, covering and a lot of them don't have protection. They don't have, uh, even basic PPE, uh, even, uh, regular testing. So that's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to raise funds to help, uh, our colleagues who get COVID, uh, so far there, there have been at least 58, uh, of our colleagues who have had, uh, COVID 19. Um, that's that's uh, that's a low number actually because we didn't really start counting until earlier this year.
0: Mm-hmm. And what kind of support are they expected to get out of this initiative? Kabang, Tabang Media?
3: Uh, the Tabang Media is supposed to give them uh, at least uh, some leeway, some economics, uh, some uh, space while they uh, undergo quarantine or while they're undergoing treatment. It's not going to be a big amount. Um, since we're hoping that companies will step in and help their uh, media workers. Um, but yeah, that it's, it's, well, we hope that we'll cover at least some of their expenses while they're uh, recuperating. Mm.
0: When did you start counting? Because uh, the, the number is quite low, 58 uh, journalists uh, affected mm. with COVID-19. So the count started, uh, when? And this number, this, this cover, uh, the entire year, for instance, since the lockdown started, May, uh, March oh. 15 last year. No that's actually from
3: earlier this year like March um, because we're, we're a new board um, and it's a new in, uh, it's a revived initiative uh, we, we revived, uh we decided to revive it after our Congress in March um one other problem there is there's a stigma uh, connected with getting COVID-19 so a lot of people don't really want to say uh, that they got it so that 58 is just the verified uh, cases uh, that members reported to us.
0: Mm. And uh, these are spread all over the Philippines, but I assume most of them are in Metro Manila or the neighboring provinces? Yes, a lot of them are uh, mostly mostly in Luzon. Mm. What, what kind of support are they getting? For instance, um, generally, based on your uh, roundtable discussions with the fellow journalists, how are they coping and what kind of support are they getting from their own companies? Because I presume they're, va- they're different. Uh, levels mm-hmm. of support that they get from their companies, depending on the company's economic standing or financial standing.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I guess the basic, well, not really support, but they their offices have safety protocols. Uh, the usual, not testing, just uh, disinfection. Um, in the in the regions, a lot of them have to provide their own PPEs. They have to find ways to get tested, like some have to tap uh, government contacts or uh they go through the barangay um not a lot have access to testing on demand mm.
0: and
3: and, what else? Mm. Um. in terms of support it really varies uh like sometimes uh, a lot of them have to raise funds on their own
0: and also another problem this is also faced by some by many health workers for instance if they go in quarantine do they actually get the benefits that they are supposed to get, as though they're still working? Well, um, except, uh, a lot of
3: well, at least in the regions, now a lot of them are paid per piece, or uh, there a lot of them are stringers, so that's really a problem. Uh, there's no real employee-employer relationship there, so if you don't have a story that goes out, then you're absent for the day, so there's you don't
0: get it. So you get the for 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 those who are watching us, many of these journalists get paid for every article that they file right or for right. every article that is published that that's called enrichment oh thousand per column inch of the article that you get published in a newspaper you know it with the ruler no so many of these journalists that you're talking about now actually are in that situation how about those who actually might have lost their jobs because of the pandemic Ah, oh, that's 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 a
3: bigger that's a I think that's a bigger need. No? Uh, I'm not sure that Tabang Media can, can meet that. But no? a lot of, there have been a lot who lost their jobs. Um, we don't have exact numbers um, because, like, for example, uh, a station closes down. We don't get the exact numbers of people who are who have, to let, who have to be let go. Um, but there have been a lot. Um, a lot have also had to supplement their income um, by selling, like, usually like, you, you, you sell items, like, you sell, uh, face shields, food, and
0: mm. in this tabang media initiative, where do the donations usually come from? Um, from the, uh, from the launch,
3: a lot of it came from, uh, from our colleagues. You no, know? um, uh, uh, what's nice there, like some of the donations are like 300 or 50 pesos. So like, so people, people are chipping in, um, we haven't as a sector we haven't really been very financially stable we're not we're not that well off but it's nice that people are giving
0: mm-hmm. and regarding for example uh, access to vaccines I think a couple of uh, weeks ago there was this push for journalists to be included in the priority list mm-hmm. um, I'm not sure what came out of that because uh, as far as I can remember uh, that proposal didn't actually come through right so if you talk with the Iatf They still needed to um, consider that, for instance. Mm -hmm. As far as the NUJP is concerned, do you think it's really time for journalists to be included in the priority list uh, and be regarded as frontliners Mm -hmm. as well?
3: Um, I think we're already included as A4, frontliners, like economic frontliners. I'm not sure. Uh, As we knew, latest, but.
0: But,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Definitely, because we provide the public service and a lot of. Uh, journalists really are on the front lines. it's uh verified information is just as important as like food or or, or medicine. I mean Hindi in a hierarchy but it's in that category at least. So if we're saying that uh journalists are frontliners then we should be treating them as essential workers as well. So that means uh better access to vaccines, access to testing. Uh yeah.
0: Okay. Now speaking of challenges, um confronting journalists during the pandemic of course we talked about the economic challenges like uh, which is also which are also being faced by by the rest of the world not just mm. here in the philippines but the other problem is the struggle for for press freedom basically uh, how do you think the pandemic lockdowns uh, have affected the way we do journalism here in the philippines given the fact also that this problem had been there even before the pandemic started and which was basically highlighted under this administration.
3: Well, it's been uh, even harder to get information, to get straight answers from officials, because a lot of the briefings are, are streamed now. Um, and more than that, it's harder for people in the regions to, to get their own stories. Like a lot, if, if you read the news from the regions, a lot of that is police and military reports, or, are uh, they're based on the local government releases. And, it's hard, uh, we can't really blame our, our colleagues in the regions because it's hard to go out. Um, you have to arrange transportation. You have to arrange uh, all the logistics yourself. Um, and given the travel restrictions, I mean, so yeah, they say we can move, our, we, we can move around freely, we're essential. But there have been cases where uh, people have, or where reporters have been accosted or have been stopped at checkpoints. So a lot of them have to really rely on these government
0: uh, releases. Mm-hmm. So of course that is a problem. Access to information during the pandemic, which is understandable, so meaning mm-hmm. basically journalists need to work harder to get access or get uh, truthful information from from public officials. But the other one, do you think um, the the effort to suppress press freedom has actually worsened under the, the during the pandemic lockdowns?
3: Um, yes, um, actually we've been. Uh we have a tally, and there have been 22 cases of intimidation in the past year, like during the pandemic. Uh, that includes red tagging, surveillance, um, and and I uh, know direct intimidation, like stop stop writing about this, stop covering this kind of. Hmm. Sa saan Um, sa NCR but regions din talaga, kasi it's harder to. Nga, it's harder to move. uh lalayon na kung local local limit mo. Um, mas madali reach out to you, I think, you officials, or or other people who want you to stop reporting.
0: So, 22 cases of intimidation yep. during uh, when, when, when the pandemic started or the lockdown started March 15 last year. Mm. So, yung mulanon. Mm. So, what happened to these cases? Were they actually acted on by, by authorities, for instance? um
3: well i guess these are usually documented now and ang, ang, the practice someone I is to report it to authorities to report it to the local police mm-hmm. but i uh, i don't think these were uh, acted on these were resolved uh, for example uh even red diving online uh you can you can send a you can send the complaint to the police you can send a report to the police but sometimes uh it's the police social media pages that do it. So how do you hold them accountable? How will they hold themselves accountable? Right?
0: So well that's quite unfortunate because you mentioned the problem with the with red baiting and we're seeing that. It's all over the place. It's all over social media. And unfortunately, much of the red uh, red baiting actually comes from our authorities. So mm-hmm. finally, on the on the occasion of the World Press Freedom Day, basically give our audience a sense of why it's important still to do journalism especially at this time because uh, it's quite um, unfortunate when you hear or read comments from social media demeaning the the role or the importance mm. of journalism in society in a democratic setting so somehow you feel the need na, you still need to tell them the basics mm. about why we do the things that we do well uh
3: given the pandemic you know, a, a lot of access a lot of power is concentrated in well in, in the executive in the government um even the uh even a lot of the, the data that we get uh, goes through them so um and given also that there's been a PCO directive to highlight real data that gives that paints a rosier picture of the pandemic response um i guess that makes it it makes it even more imperative for journalists to verify that information um it's hard it's hard to know uh, it's hard to solve a problem like the pandemic it's hard to uh it's hard to to find ways forward if you don't have the right information and i believe that journalists ha- uh, play a role in uh finding that information uh for people for people and policy makers to make decisions so yeah it's still quite important
0: even for so now Okay, Mr. Jonathan DeSantos, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you very much. That's our program for today. I'm Christian Esguera. You can listen again to our interviews on the ANC Matters of Fact podcast available on Apple, Spotify, Google, and Stitcher. You can also get all the exclusive content on ANC's YouTube channel. Thank you for watching.